about the wonderful profoundness of scripture and how sometimes we miss it. Now, today I want to do something. Today I want to jump in to this one biblical character called Job. Now, I want to go into this story of Job because the story of Job just gives us an awesome lesson. Now, we have stated this concept, and I want it to be in everybody's mind. The, Bi- the, Lord, the God knows and the Bible shows. Okay, I'm going to repeat that. God knows and the Bible shows. Repeat that with me. Come on, everybody. God knows and the Bible shows. Look at the person next to you and say, neighbor. Say, God knows and the Bible shows. So here it is. If you're confused, if you're missing out on it, if there's something you need to know of God, but you feel you quite don't understand it, you fully don't understand it, you go to Scripture because in the Bible you will find the answer you're looking for. If it's a marital situation, if it's a sexual problem, if it's a drug problem, if it's a raising kid problem, you go to Scripture and Scripture will have the answer for you. And what we're doing today is as we go into Job, I want to show you something that Job teaches us. Now, the book of Job has awesome lessons. Most of you have heard about Job. He's the dude who loses everything he had. He ends up with nothing in his life. Everything is torn apart. The guy gets sick. He ends up on the floor. Now, you know the story of Job, but there's something behind the story of Job that normally we miss. In the beginning, very, very beginning of the story, in the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 1, let's read about Job's life. It says, it, now, when you read it, it starts telling us about him, and I'm not going to go into detail because of time, but it starts telling us details about him. In verse 3, it talks to us about who he is. In verse 1, it talks to us about who he is. In verse 2, it talks about uh, who he is. In verse 1, you find that it says that this man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Now, I love that. That's one of the most powerful things, and I'll probably return to that at the end of my teaching today. But it says he was blameless and upright, and he feared God, and he shunned evil. Man, shunning evil. I wish I had more time to dedicate to that. Okay. Verse 2 says that he had seven sons and three daughters it says that he has seven thousand sheep can you imagine in that time having seven thousand sheep it says that he had three he had three thousand camels 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys the bible says he had a large number of servants in other words when the bible ends here and in our version the version we tend to use mostly here today we'll use like three different versions but in the version of the bible we use here niv it says he was the greatest man among all people of the east now when he says the greatest if you read in the amplified version i like that version a little bit better in this specific case because when we hear the greatest man sometimes you might think well he's talking about he's a prominent man but what he's really talking about the way it really says it is the dude was rich i mean it literally gave you details of everything he had seven thousand sheep three thousand camels 500 yoke of oxen if you had that today you'd be rich this man was really rich in that time so the bible says he was a rich a rich a rich wealthy man verse four starts telling us about his family so it's giving us a bio on who job was in verse four the bible says that he had that his sons used to hold feasts they were great parties in other words it's saying his kids could party like it was 1999 his kids his kids could party all right verse 5 says when a period of feast had run its course look what job would do after his kids had a great party job would make arrangements for them to be purified now i wish i had time to talk to parents right now because it says that after his kids partied his his father would take time to make sure his kids were purified oh man 
I really have to be careful because I want to be cautious of time. But if I had time to preach this one, I could teach you so much. We have lost parenthood in our society. That's my conviction, really. I think some kids just need a good old slap on behalf of mom and dad to get things straight. And I know some kids in the room are looking at me saying, you can't say that. That's illegal. Shut up because I'll slap you and I'll go to jail for your parents. We're just needing some correction in our society because nowadays dads can't slap kids, but kids slap dads. And I just don't get that. It doesn't fit with me. Just call me an old geezer, but I still have that in me. The reason I'm the man I am today is because mom had this slipper that she could program and send at me. It was a digital slipper. She could program it, send it down the hallway. I'd be under my bed. It slapped me four times, come back into her hand. She'd blow on it and put it right back on her shoe. That's how good my mama was beating us up. My mama once took a broomstick and she broke it on my brother's back. All right. And, you, and yet now, now to parents that want to go home and break a broomstick on their children's back. Okay. iChurch is not recommending that. Okay. But it's just a good whipping. But I love the way that Job would make arrangements to make sure that his children would be purified. Now, theologically, I went into this. It would be very controversial, especially to those that know Scripture, because when you read this portion of the Bible, it really blows your mind away because some people actually say that Job's kids were party-hardy. They'd go a little bit too rough. The Bible's actually insinuating to a certain degree that the father found the need to be able to purify his kids because apparently his kids, when they partied, they partied. And apparently, even though he had to discipline them, it almost insinuates that Job wasn't doing... Now, it's just an insinuation. You can't actually narrow, narrow that and say it's true. But it's actually insinuating that Job almost had a problem of discipline with his children. And that actually brings a relief if you know the rest of the story. Because all these kids are going to die anyway. They're all going to die. And when they all die, you say, well, why did they die? Well, what happened was that the kids apparently were living an ungodly life. And the problem was that dad realized that they'd go out at night, they'd party till they dropped, they'd wake up in the morning, and when he woke up, Job kind of had in his heart that he had to do something because if not, his kids were going to go away. Now, I'm speaking to every parent in the room, every teenager in the room right now is looking at me, you may not like it, but here's the question, what are your kids watching? What are your kids doing? What are your kids saying? Who are they hanging out with, you know? Somebody came up to me a couple of weeks ago, it was probably almost like a month ago, somebody came up to me and said, hey, I just got a tip for you. I said, what? He said, the person said, have you seen your daughter's Snapchat? And see, my daughters don't have Facebook, my daughters don't have, them. they don't have that. Yeah, you know, we've kept some rules, and they've decided on themselves. But somebody came and said, have you checked out your daughter's Snapchat? And her saying that freaked me out because the first thing, I couldn't even pronounce Snapchat. I kept on saying Snapchat. I couldn't even say it. More or less, would I understand it? So here I am looking at my iPhone trying to figure out how to do Snapchat, and I couldn't figure it out. When I finally figured it out, come to realize that you can't see your daughter's page unless she accepts you as a friend. So what did I do? I threatened her. I threatened her like every good parent. I said, you better accept me as your friend. So she accepted me as her friend, and now I see her Snapchat. And every time she writes, I'm able to see. But the problem is, I have no idea what I'm doing. So everybody in church came to me and said, hey, Pastor, cool. You got a Snapchat. You got a Snapchat me. And I'm thinking in my mind, I have no idea what you're saying. But I kept on looking cool enough to make sure that I knew what was going on. But the thing about it is that a true parent will worry about what his kids are up to. doesn't matter their age. You'll worry about it. You will worry about what your kids are up to. 
You push an extra mile. It doesn't matter where they're at. Job was a good father because he was concerned about the purification of his children. It says early in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking. <laughs> Look at this. Just thinking. <laughs> he had no evidence. He didn't know if they got stoned the night before. He didn't know if they had an orgy. He didn't know what went on. But just thinking that something went on, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Maybe they didn't even say it out loud, but the way they acted curse God in their heart. Now think about that for a second. Cursing God in your heart. You don't use your brain. You don't use your mind. You don't use your mouth. But in your heart, they curse God. He's saying, maybe my kids did something wrong last night at the party. Apparently, Job didn't go to the party, right? This was Job's regular custom. Now, when you read from verse 1 all the way down to verse um, 5, you realize two things about Job. Number one, you realize that Job was a very godly man that came cared for his family, and he had things in order. He was very rich. He was a wealthy man. So when you think about this, you say, gee whiz, you know, he had it all going. Everything seemed okay. And today, I don't want to talk about the tough moments. I actually want to talk about the okay moments. I want to talk about the good moments, the cool moments, the, 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 the good moments where you think, man, everything is good. I want to talk about those moments. Why? Because when you look at Job, that's where he was at. And here's what I want to teach you. I want everybody to understand. Now, there's, a non, uh, there's an unorthodox way of thinking. And what I'm about to teach, if you've been with me long enough, you've heard it before. If you're new and you've come maybe in the last six months, the last very intense spiritual lesson we taught was um, uh, uh, dry bones series. And I'm very cautious about when I bring this topic, because if you're new and you're sitting here, you're like, Hmm, what is he saying? What is he talking about? What is he But you need to understand that my upbringing was not in a regular orthodox type of atmosphere. I didn't grow up in the traditional church. I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in, in, in this atmosphere. All my biblical doctrine and knowledge came either by self teaching or it became, it came from actually a European background because the Europeans had established churches in Dominican republic through the french and i had a french influence teaching on me from the haitian community that's why i started learning so the spiritual realm there is not as as occult as it is here here the spiritual realm you don't see it that much so we tend to ignore it a little more but spiritual warfare in these places is visible you see it guys you don't talk about demons you see demons and move See, my first experience in ministry, I was probably, uh, I was a youth pastor, and I remember going to a little town called Utuado, Puerto Rico. And in Utuado, Puerto Rico, I remember at a youth retreat, I did the altar call, and people came forward, and after, they asked if they could speak to me. Now, the church I was at had approximately like 40 church members, but the youth team that I pastored had about 120. So we would fill up buses and go to youth retreats and revivals, and I was one of the preachers preaching there. When the sermon was over... I remember an experience where one girl sat right across from me and she took her hands and she started speaking to me. And, and when, when, when first she was sitting there and when she was sitting across from me, she, she started unbuttoning her shirt. Now, you got to understand that I'm an 18-year-old non-married boy preaching the word of God. And there's this sexy female take unbuttoning her shirt in front of me. So you could understand that the last thing I was thinking about was the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some of you, that's a little too strong. Some of you are like, well, that's just not right. You're our pastor. But I was 18, and I wasn't married, and she's unbinding her shirt. And it was really hard for me to focus on God because of what she was doing. I kept on diverting. And then I would, she, and she would say, I have a problem, and she'd unbutton one shirt. 
And then I'm like, okay, so how may I help you? And I was very naive and stupid back then. A little, I was a little more stupid than I am now. So I was sitting in a room by myself counseling a girl. It's something that you would not do if you're a smart counselor. So, but I didn't know this. So I'm 18. She's probably 17. She's in her shirt. And I'm thinking, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. So she starts talking to me. And in the process, she unbuttons the second shirt. Now, the second button. Now, when she unbuttons the second button, you could see her bra. It's all those parents that are visiting who have their little kids here for the first time. And you're freaking out saying, oh, my gosh, this sermon is rated R. All my sermons, all my sermons are rated R. All right. But TV is rated X now. So don't overjudge me. Okay. So here she is. And she unbuttons. And I could see the top of her bra. And then she says, see, it's just. And I said, excuse me, is something happening? She says, oh, no, it's just very hot in here. And she starts touching herself. And now I'm sweating also in front of her. And as I'm sweating in front of her, I, I, I lean back and I say, something is not going good. This is not going. And she says, see, it's my boyfriend. And I want you to understand, um, pastor. And I was not a pastor back then. But she says, I was just a preacher. She said, pastor, I want you to understand. She says, no, no, no. I'm, I'm not a pastor. Says, pastor, pastor, I need your help. And she, she leaned on me and put her arm around my back. And when she put her arm around my back, I just wanted to be that pastor. You know, I wanted to be that pastor and take care of the flock. And I put my arm around her and I'm unfocused. And all of a sudden I realized and I pushed back and I said, wait a minute. I shunned evil. I shunned evil. I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. See, that was the beginning of my ministry career, but it could have been the end of my ministry career right there. I wasn't seeing what I was seeing. And when I shunned her back, what happened immediately is that she looked at me and said, wait, stop, stop, stop. And I remember my mentor, the uh, Haitian Dominican pastor, I'm hoping to bring him soon. Um, um, he, uh, he, he had taught me about an experience where we were, I was with him when I, fought, I saw the first demon-possessed child, youth, um, and, and it wasn't a child, it was youth, first demon-possessed person in a bed tied up. And when I saw this, it um, freaked me out at first it freaked me out and here's what happened um i'm he had taught me a lesson about shunning evil and he said you need to rebuke in the name of jesus and he talked about joseph when potiphar's wife came on him and how he ran from her and said no i'm not going to sin now youth listen up you may think i'm religious now but if you don't know how to shun evil and run like it's the devil you will fall into sin you need to not well pastor you're just being a little bit overrated uh uh charismatic trying to be holier than thou no then you tell me why i'm where i'm at and you and i'll look at where you're at because the difference about where i'm at and you're at is that i learned to shun evil and shunning evil i rebuked her and i said i rebuke you it was the first time i rebuked a human being in my life i said i rebuke you in the name of jesus and when i said i rebuke you she looked at me and right there she took her hands and she, and she had a long nail and she went onto my chest and she started pressing and tearing into me and her voice changed and she started speaking to me now, what we don't understand sometimes is that in this world where we live now, we don't see much of this. And some of this sounds like a horror movie to you because we, Satan has found an awesome tactic to run everything at an invisible level and hide. And we don't see spiritual warfare as it is. But what I want you to understand is that parallel to this world, there is a spiritual realm running. You may call it good and evil. Call it whatever you want. I don't care. I call it God and Satan. 
And at this other level, while I'm here on earth, there is parallel to me a spiritual realm occurring at the same time. And every now and then, this spiritual realm where God, angels, Satan, and his demons work and where I live, every now and then they tap and they touch. Now, when that experience taps and touches, it is either for good or it is for bad. And when you're a parent, you're worried about when it touches. See, you kind of know it. Some of you could actually perceive it. Some of you have have been in a room and you know when these two realms are touching simultaneously. It's just these moments of touching. Some of them are supernatural blessings. Some of them are miracles. When you come to church, the, re- the reason I think coming to church faithfully is important and not staying in your home is because church is an atmosphere and a platform that builds a little mountain like my knuckles right now. And that little mountain brings us here on earth closer to heaven than you could ever be. You say, well, I could do that in my house without coming to church. You can. Then explain to me how come also your flesh can do a lot of things that are pulling you farther and further away. See, the body of Christ in the church is a platform for you to come close to that. So it's really easy to experience a powerful worship song or be able to release yourself in the spirit or be able to hear a word of God. Now, I know I lost about 10% of you on this and some of you are looking at me weird right now. But when it runs parallel and you start thinking that way, you read scripture and you read it in a different way. What I want you to understand that everything was well in Job's life, but simultaneously, I want you to understand that there's something occurring in the spiritual realm that he doesn't understand clearly, that you don't understand clearly, and that I don't understand clearly. In the book of First Corinthians chapter 10, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. The Bible says that we look into a mirror, but our mirror is blemished. What the Bible is saying is we could barely understand and see ourselves. The Bible is saying you don't even know yourself, you God. The Bible is saying you don't even know yourself. You lose your shoes sometimes. You lose your keys and you think you know God. The Bible is saying we look through a blemished mirror. We barely understand. There's another portion in the Bible that I love and I, I've always held to this. Isaiah chapter 5, 55 verse 8 and verse 9 says that his ways are greater than our ways. It says that his ways are higher than our ways. It says that the way God thinks is not the same way we think. So what the Bible is saying is that parallel to us, there's something occurring way greater than us and it's specifically in job's life the bible at the very beginning of the lesson of job the bible god knows and the bible shows something very powerful it says one day while everything was great in the world of of job it says one day verse six it says one day the angels now it's talking about that spiritual realm came to present themselves before the lord and satan also came with them. So the angels show up to a meeting with God and Satan also shows up to the meeting. Verse seven, the Lord said to Satan, the God speaks to Satan. He says, hey, where have you come from? He's saying, where have you been? And look at Satan's answer. Look at Satan's answer. Satan answered, God knows in the Bible shows, God's trying to, God's putting this at the beginning of Job because he wants to teach us something that we don't understand, that we ignore here on earth. He says, Satan answered the Lord. And now this is very important. From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. The Bible says that Satan answered back. God said, hey, 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 where have you been, Satan? Satan says, watch, watch. Satan says, me? I was, I was roaming the earth. I was roaming the earth. 
Now, do we have military people who have been in the military here? Anybody have been in the military? You can raise your hand. Anybody here who's been in the military, any type of armed forces? I know we have a lot. One, two, three, four, five, five, six, six people. Okay, listen to this. Listen to this. Every, every good person, every good strategist inside the army, every good commanding chief, anybody, would always understand that today and yesterday, one of the most important things in war is intel. If you don't have intel, you have no strategy. You have no strategy, you're in trouble. You have to gain intel. There's this one um, author that um, I, I like reading from him. He was a businessman. I like it because he speaks from a business leadership point of view to those that love leadership lessons. He speaks from a business leadership point of view. He speaks from a Christian point of view. He speaks from a war point of view. And, and, and I'm not saying I agree with him. I'm not saying follow him. I'm not saying I agree with everything on him. But I, I love learning from other cultures. There's this one author. He's a Korean man. His name is Shun Mind Moon. And Sun Mind Moon says this. I love this quote. I know the enemy, but the enemy doesn't know me. Thus, the enemy has already lost the war. Now think about that. He says, I know the enemy, but the enemy, he's talking about intel. He's talking about intel. He's talking about information. He's talking about strategy. He says, I know the enemy. The enemy doesn't know me. Thus, I won the war. What do you think Pearl Harbor was? The enemy knowing us and us not expecting them. Every time, listen to this, come on, listen to this. Every time the enemy knows more about you than you know about him, you're about to lose the war. So if Satan is out on the road and he turns to God and God says, where were you? He says, I'm out there. What do you think he was doing? He was gaining intel. He was saying, okay, I know your weakness. I know yours. I know where you fail. I know what you do. I know yours. Hey, I know where you fail. I know where you mess up. Oh, I know. See, Satan was out there gathering intel. It was spiritual warfare at its best. Satan saying, I got this. I got you. I got you. Pastor, what are you saying? Somebody's watching you. They're watching. Watching all the time. Guys, think about it. Think about it. I mean, you, you may sit there and say, Pastor, you're overreacting. The book of Hosea, chapter 4, verse 6 says, my people are destroyed. God says, the Bible, God knows and the Bible shows. He says, my people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. I believe Satan knows more of you than you know of him. Thus, your war, you will lose. You will lose every spiritual temptation as long as he, you don't know, if you don't know his strategies, if you don't know the way he thinks, if you don't know the way he acts, he will beat you at your war. He will know. Why do you think, you think it's a casual thing, man? You think it's a casual thing? I, I argued with my wife and she's been driving me crazy. Not, not you folks, you folks, I know you're holy and all that. You don't do this. But you know, I follow, I follow, my wife just drove me crazy on my free day. She gave me a list. She says, it's your day off. Come home and rest. And she gave me a list with 20 things to do. It's one of those things where she says, I just have one thing for you to do. And then she pulls out a list. It's the list. That's the one thing she had. 
And then you're working and you're working and you get there and she's there and then you get mad at her when you get mad. Now, not, not you folks. I know you folks don't argue. Marriages out here don't argue. I know parents don't get upset with their kids and don't want to smack on you. They don't do that. Just me. But old carnal, fleshly Pastor Carlos, and you may need to pick a new church because you need a holier pastor. I'm just maybe not, I may not be the right guy for you. But, but, but here's the thing. When those moments come and you get angry and you're angry at your wife and you're like, like, look at that. And you go into other problems and you walk around. Why is it that that same exact day... You run into this female that just walks by you and her her fragrance and her hair. And it's always like she's walking slow motion. You know, why did that one? No, I know you folks don't know what I'm talking about. I know you don't live that. Why is it that when you're most aggravated or, 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 you're, or you had a bad day, you woke up and you hit your, you know, that pinky on the side of the bed and you're walking around. It's the same day that your tire pops and it happens. To, it's just a casual thing. Oh, it's not a spiritual thing. I know. And it's the same day that somebody at work just drove you crazy and you want to kill and it's the same day that something happened with your paycheck and it's the same day well, I mean, it's just, 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 maybe it's just maybe it's just me Pastor, it's just a casual thing he knows more about you than you know about him he knows when to place the temptation in front of you he knows how to get you to cuss and he knows how to get you to be mad and he knows how to get you to be pissed off in fact you think it's you But he knows how to put those words in your mouth that drive everybody miserable around you. And they answer back and they slash back at you. He knows how to get you depressed. He knows what drives. He knows what your weakness is. It's funny because I sit in my counseling office this week and I have a guy in front of me. He sits in front of me. He says, Pastor. And he's a good man of God, a good servant in my Spanish congregation. He sits in front of me and he says, Pastor. I go, what's up? And he goes, I, I, I go, dude, are you going to serve this next week or you're not going to serve in church? And he turns to me and says, Pastor, I haven't been in church in two weeks. I said, you haven't been in church in two weeks? And I'm like, dude, what's wrong with you? He goes, I don't know. I'm just sad. I'm just down. I'm just out. I don't feel like getting up, you know. And then Josue called me and he asked me to serve. But I'm thinking, oh, Josue, you know. Josue, he's like his dad. He's got the gift of speaking. And, you know, he's convincing me. And he's just saying nice things. But, you know, Pastor, I don't know. I don't want you guys to draw me into this. And, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and so what do you think it is? And I asked him, how much Coke did you take this week? He means like Coca-Cola? I said, no, man, Coke. He goes, Oh, man, what are you talking about? I said, how much heroin did you shoot up? And he goes, no, Pastor, what are you? He goes, Pastor, it's me. I almost said his name. <laughs> he said, Pastor, it's me, man. And you know, I don't, do, I don't do drugs. I said, dude, 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 dude. Come on. How many prostitutes did you sleep with this week? And he just got offended at that point. You know, when you walk into my counseling office, you will get offended at one point. So he says back and he goes, come on, Pastor. I think, come on, man. What's the deal? I said, come on, man. Come on, talk to me. And he says, none, very seriously. I said, oh, so that's not the fiber of your sin, is it? He goes, no. I said, right. So Satan attacks you where he knows you're weak. And where you are weak is getting depressed and thinking that nobody loves you because you have a low self-esteem. So he hits you where it hurts most. I said, open up your eyes, brother. I said, open up your eyes. See, some people have problems with drugs. Some people have problems with heroin. Some people have problems with women. Some people have problems with men. But we all got problems. 
So he's going to find where you have him and he's going to pinpoint it. He's going to hunt it down. He's watching. It's spiritual warfare. He's not stupid. He's watching exactly where you're weak. He's watching it. It's a strategy. The enemy knows more of you. So let me teach you something about the enemy in the next five minutes. Bear with me, okay? I'm going to teach you something about the enemy. I want to give you a step ahead. Pastor Carlos wants to open up a day. This may be the sermon that changes your whole spiritual life because I want to open up the door and show you something that you may have not been looking at because you thought that the problem was somebody was attacking you. You thought that the problem was depression. You thought that the problem was money. You thought it was that, but it's way beyond that it's actually spiritual strategy on behalf of satan trying to get into your mind but you're ignoring it because the people perish because of lack of knowledge of according to Hosea. so let me teach you something then that's going to blow your mind away and if you've been in church all your life oh you're really in for it now watch this verse verse six verse eight says then the lord the lord god your savior your protector okay your redeemer the lord said to satan hey Since you've been around trying to get strategy on somebody and find somebody weak that you could hurt in their weak area. Since you've been trying to find somebody, have you considered my servant Job? He's like, hey, I got Job. Why don't you go after Job? (laughs) Hey, have you seen, have you considered my servant? I don't know about you folks. Maybe you folks are like, oh, hallelujah. I'm thinking, God, what's up? Come on. I struggle enough, and you're telling, saying, hey, you know, why don't you check out Carlos, my servant, man? Go hit on Carlito, man. Go. You know his weaknesses. He shuns evil. Remember that day that he was with that woman at the beginning of his ministry? He said, rebuke him. He shuns, go get Carlos. I'm like, God, come on, cut me some slack, man. Now, you guys are saying, Pastor, what are you talking about? It's not that way. Pastor, Pastor, why would you say something like that? Oh, so all of you are like, come on, Satan, get me? Come on, be real. Let's be honest, guys. The Lord looked at Satan and said, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God. And should, at this point, anybody in sin would be like, that's why I just like sinning. <laughs> if you sin, you don't get attacked, man. But all you holy people like you, pastor, look at that, man. God sent Satan right after you, bro. He said, have you considered my servant Job? Now, here's what I want to focus on. Everybody, listen, pay attention. What if God, what if God told Satan to consider you? What if God went up and said, hey, Satan, why don't you consider Mike? What what if yesterday God said, hey, what's your name, brother? Dennis, what if, think about it, Dennis, for a second. Dennis, the people, I know what, everybody's just like, don't pick Dennis, he's new. That's why I'm going to make you feel at home, bro. He goes, he goes, he goes, imagine, imagine yesterday you went through something and it was really tough. And imagine it was God saying, hey, Satan, try Dennis. You'd, some of you will theologically have an issue with that because those that know scripture would say, well, pastor, that was in the book of Job. And the book of Job was Old Testament. And Old Testament was before Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had not died. His blood had not been shed on me. So I, was re- I wasn't redeemed from my sins. So in that case, because it was by the law, Satan would have attacked him because he was not under grace. It's Old Testament. Wait a minute, holier than thou. Then explain to me why 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says in the New Testament, almost at the end of the Bible, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
What happened with grace there? Pastor, what are you saying? It says that the enemy said, be alert and of sober minded. Well, pastor, it's speaking about, pastor, I know what it's talking about people who are not Christians. It's talking about people who are not Christians, pastor. It's not talking about Christians. It's talking to, it's talking to those that are not believers. Wait, read verse 9. Resist him standing firm in the faith. Resist him standing firm in, it's talking to believers. So, pastor, what are you saying? I believe Satan's still attacking as much today as he was in the Old Testament. And I believe my congregation is sitting here listening to me now. And to those watching online, to those downloading the podcast, I have something to say to you. You may be at a distance. You may have not had the privilege to sit in the room like many people have right now. But it doesn't mean God's not speaking to you. I believe that if you're in this room, you're here on a divine appointment because God is sending you a, re- a theological revelation that you need to hear because it's the fact that you need, it's the one element that you need for the breakthrough you've been waiting for. My, my question to you is, what would you do if you knew, if you lived what Job lived? What would you do if you lost it all? What would you do if you lost your children, if you lost your mom, if you lost your dad? What would you do if they all died? What would you do if you fell sick in a bed? What would you do if you ended up with nothing? What would you do if Satan came against you and he tore your life to pieces and you ended up sick in a bed with nobody loving you, nobody next to you, nobody beside you? What would you do? Now, I know what you're saying, Pastor, I can't answer that question because I haven't been there. I don't know if I would continue to worship God or not. I don't know if I would do it. Pastor, if I lost everything, I don't know if I'd continue to go to church. Pastor, if I lost everything, I don't know if I'd... I'd, Pastor, I just don't know because I haven't lived it. I haven't been there. Now, let's make the question easier. What do you do now when you haven't lost everything but you get attacked in one area? Maybe you haven't... Listen, maybe you haven't lost it all. But when you're attacked in that one area, what do you do now? When you get hit on your marriage, I'm speaking to somebody. If you're getting hit on your finances, if you're getting hit with drugs, if you're getting hit with a situation with your kids, if you're getting hit at school, if you're being rejected, if you have a sin that's creeping up on you, if you have a temptation that's right on your door. Now, I know you can't raise your hand and you got you. I know you can't share it with me today, but don't worry. I'm coming for you right there at your chair. You don't have to move. You came into church this morning. One of my promises is that I don't want you to walk in here and walk out the same way. I want you to look at every single Sunday and be able to say, when I walk into there, I came and I said God speak to me and God was speaking to me I'll come and I'll reach you right where you're at and here's what I have to say to you what do you do now when you're attacked well let me tell you what you should do let me tell you what you should do I'm going to go back to the beginning Job chapter 1 verse 8 I'm going to tell you what theologically I'm going to teach you something that you need to understand to be able to go through war spiritual warfare here it is Job 1 8 then the Lord said to Satan have you considered my servant Job Have you considered my servant Job? Pastor, we said that already. Watch. Watch the second part. There is. Look what God said. Thank you, Jesus. There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright and a man who fears God and shuns evil. Praise Jesus. Pastor, I don't get it. You don't? Listen. The Lord said to Satan, have you, you're looking for somebody, right? Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright and a man who fears God and shuns evil. You know what that Bible verse tells me? It tells me that theologically, before the warfare started, before Satan attacked, listen, listen, before Satan figured out about Job, before he did that, the Bible's telling me that God said, there is no one 
on earth like him. He is blameless and upright and a man who fears God and shuns evil. Pastor, I don't get it. What are you saying? What I'm saying is that you may not know you, but God knows you and nobody knows you better than your Lord and Savior. He knows where you hurt. He knows where you need. He knows what you think. He knows your weaknesses. He knows you like nobody else knows you. So pastor, what are you saying? If God knew Job, he knew me. And you may have missed it in that Bible verse. But when it says that God says he's shameless and he's, 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 he's shameless and, and he's blameless and he's upright and he manages, what I, what, what, all, what's so awesome about that is that I think, God, man, no, but my wife loves me, but not even she knows me the way you know me. You know, people you live with, people you hang around, they may know you, but they don't know you the way God knows you. God knows you mess up, but he still hangs out. God knows you've fallen down and he's still there to pick you up he's here today trying to talk to you god knows you like nobody knows you so pastor what are you saying if god knows you like nobody knows you you keep this bible verse in your mind today as you walk out of this room first of corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 amplified version right in the slap middle of the verse because god knows me because god knows you whoever you are out there because god knows you listen he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist. Because God knows you. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what you're living. I don't know what it is. You don't have to share it. But pay attention, church. Whatever it is, know one thing. That no matter what storm raises against you, your God will never put you in a situation you can't manage. But pastor, I feel I can't manage it. I feel I can't overcome this temptation. I feel I can't overcome this. I try to get out of it, but I just can't. I really feel I don't have the strength. No, Satan has been watching you and convincing you that you do not have the strength. But the God that resides within you has made you able to do above and beyond you would ever imagine you can do. He will equip you. He will strengthen you. He will raise you. He's God. He's going to pick you up where it hurts. He's going to make it feel better because he's God. Can somebody in this room praise a powerful God who's there when you need him the most? So there's it. So there's it. Pastor, what are you saying? What are you saying? Listen, listen up, listen up, listen up, listen up. What I'm saying is, when you go out of this room, no matter what you encounter, have one thing in mind. Whenever you feel you're about to give up, come on, close your eyes, bow your head right now, right there where you are. Right there where you are. I'm done. Close your eyes, bow your head. Right there where you are. Close your eyes, bow your head. Right there where you are. Right there where you are. Right there where you are. Close your eyes, bow your head. Listen up, listen up, listen up, listen up, listen up, listen up, listen up. You need this. This is your breakthrough. There's a difference. You are not alone. You got me? You are not alone. Your God knows you. Your God knows you better than you know you. You got me? Your God knows you better. He won't. He knows where you fall, man. He knows. Then why hasn't he picked me up, God? He gave you the strength. You don't believe you have it. Satan's lied to you. So walk away from that. Walk away from that. Rebuke that lie Satan's been telling you for a while. He tells you, you ain't got it. But I told you, your God knows you better than you know you. And you have not to fear and not to worry because God knows and the Bible shows. I bless you in the name above all names, in the name of Jesus Christ. When under attack, remember, God knows you more than you know you. Father, thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
Amen. Can you put your hands together?